Get your morning groove on right now with Boom Big Brecky. That is right. But it's not Boom's Big Breakfast for your Wednesday morning. It's Boom Talks. With me, Max, I'll be taking you until 10am. But from there, until then, I should say, we've got some good stuff. We've got an interview that I did earlier this week with the editor of the Sunday Times, political editor of the Sunday Times, Joe Spagnolo. We're going to be talking about the fallout of the voice to parliament. And also on this show, you can call... Or text in if you like. The number for that is nine double four three double two three six or zero double four eight seven six nine nine six four. So make sure you do that. Also, in this hour, we're going to be talking about the Perth Glory because they've gotten a new owner. So it's going to be pretty interesting about that. And another construction company has gone under but that is all to come in this hour but now here is a bit of the weekend and ariana grande for you here on boom hot and cold Katy perry for you here on boom radio with boom talks for your wednesday morning and now perth glory they've been in a bit of trouble let's just say recently because firstly back way back in july the previous owner tony sage gave up the uh, Glory's A-League licence because it went into receivership and he couldn't put any more money into it, basically, to keep it propped up. So then after that, it went into receivership and now new owners have bought it and the new owner is Robert Bridge and he said in a statement yesterday, we are honoured to have been handed this great responsibility, acknowledging we are just the third ownership group to lead the club in 27 years. We believe in the potential of football, the potential of the A-League, and particularly in the potential of Perth glory. So now this has all happened as we've come close to the eve of the A-League season, the men's A-League season, kicking off essentially. So now this puts into question, do you think this always was put in place or was this something that just literally happened maybe, say, a month ago? You know, was there always an owner that was going to take over or did this just happen a month ago all of a sudden? Let me know what you think on 944 You can always call in and talk about it or you can text at 0448769964. But it seems pretty interesting that on the eve of the new season, Robert Bridge has decided to buy the Perth glory and take it forward. And, I mean, the third ownership in 27 years is not bad at all and it's just interesting to see what would happen now if it's going to be able to go to new heights under Robert Bridge or not but for now here is some Tay Oski with the pill for you here on Boom with Boom Talks for your Wednesday morning the pill Teoski for you here on Boom for your Wednesday morning with Boom Talks. I'm your host, Max, taking you through until 10 a.m. And if you're wanting to know a little bit about the show, I can tell you quickly now. So I approached Boom. Obviously, I was, I'm working here, but I asked them, you know, it would be great if Boom Radio had a talkback show where you, the listeners, can call in and talk about the issues that matter to you because I think that's the most important thing in society and with the role of radio as well is for the listeners to be able to talk about what they think 
they're seeing in the world that you know might need to change a little bit. So when I approached them to do this, I thought, you know, they would take it hopefully because you know it would be silly if they didn't. And so I didn't come up with the name of Boom Talks. It was sort of a collaborative thing. But then, you know, I've got just so many things I want to talk about in this world that, you know, might need a change. And also there's so many things happening all the time in the political realm, whether it be with the recent voice treaty or something else. And then you've got, you know, the Middle East right now, which is absolutely tragic what's going on there. And hopefully there's a resolve to it soon and just even internationally with you know like say Donald Trump or something there's always stuff going on so it's just I I love talking about this stuff and I hope you enjoy listening to it and about it but always feel free to call in the phone lines are open you know so that phone number is nine double four three double two three six. You can always call or text at zero double four eight seven six nine nine six four. But I look forward to hearing what you say. Just down on Oxford Street sits a majestic gum tree and Leederville's finest cafe. With delicious coffee and mouth-watering food, Oxford Yard is the way to go to start your day right. From a specially brewed caffeine fix to delicious burgers and wholesome salads for lunch. And open until 2.30 every day and located right next to North Metropolitan TAFE, Oxford Street, Oxford Yard is your one-stop coffee shop. Visit them today at 196 Oxford Street in Leederville or visit oxfordyard.com.au proud sponsors of boom radio not just noise how do i say goodbye dean lewis for you here on boom with boom talks for your wednesday morning now i have in the studio with me talon elkington for the news headlines talon what's in the news good morning max um in the news, someone on an unfortunate note to start off with, meningococcal has reached Perth once again. The child is currently in hospital, being treated and recovering. And WA Health has revealed that the child contracted the zero group B strain, adding to the five cases that have been confirmed in WA this year. That is yeah. certainly not good. You, yes. You know. It's um, always bad meningococcal. Yeah, and for more on it. symptoms, uh, the Centre of Disease Control and Prevention has an article online for those curious in that regard. Make sure to check it out, obviously, to see yeah. if you've got any of the symptoms. What else is happening in the news? So, um, Cannington is slated to be the home of the second IKEA in WA. Another IKEA is yes. opening up. However, this one's going to be a little bit different to the store which is in Inaloo at the moment. Which is just not too far from where we are here. Yeah, about 10 to 15 minutes, depending on how you go with traffic and red yeah. lights. Um, the store's primarily going to be a boutique click-and-collect outlet, which also makes way for customers to meet with the IKEA specialists to plan and create personalised home interiors. This is going to be the third of its kind in the country. There's currently okay. two others, of course, which... um are in Melbourne and Sydney. And in sport, now you said before we went on air that the trade deadlines is at 12 o'clock this afternoon. A huge day on the cards. Mm. It's AFL trade deadline day. Players such as Xavier Dersma, Jack Ginevan and Asava Radigalia being closely followed. 
as well as the draft order. <laughs> Another so, day about pick one possibly being traded away. Another- West Coast fans, brace yourself. So it's going to be another bad day for West Coast or Fremantle fans, depending. But I think Fremantle's already well, had the, um, with Schultz going. Yeah, it already isn't great for Dockers fans. But um, the draft order is open to be rearranged for another couple of weeks. Mm. So it's just the players that um, where the trade deadline is going to be closed. It's 12 p.m. Australian Western time. All paperwork has to be lodged. And another thing in sport, which will be featured at the top of the hour. The soccer ashes are remaining in Australia. The Socceroos claimed a 2-0 victory over the New Zealand All-Whites and goals from Harry Sutton and Jackson Irvine there and the latest in the Israeli-Palestine conflict. And all of that is coming up, obviously, at the top of the hour, of course, if because that's when we always do headlines, isn't it? Absolutely. At the top of the hour. Well, make sure to stick around for that one. I'll be back in a little bit talking about the collapse of one of Perth's biggest builders that has happened quite recently. So stick around for that one. Back in black, ACDC for you here on Boom Talks for your Wednesday morning. And now one of Perth's biggest builders has appeared to be in some sort of financial trouble. Sim... Simsai uh, Construction Group, which is an Osborne Park-based builder, which oversees first home buyers direct, uh, multi-development uh, type of builds, and also express homes as well, is understood to have up to 100 properties in the pipeline already that they are currently in the midst of building. But they have been ordered by the ATO, which is the Australian Tax Taxation Office, to wind up they've issued a wind up order and the WA government's building and energy division said they're closely monitoring the situation with this company itself the wind up order that the ATO has issued to this company includes compulsory liquidation which uh, that's usually issued by the courts on behalf of administrators and that's forcing a company to basically cease trading so its assets can be sold in order to pay back creditors that have not been paid. And it it also involves many other things as well, trying to make sure if they can sort out some sort of home way to continue building these homes as well for these people who have been displaced, essentially. And so it's this is not the first time it's happened, obviously, as you would have seen in the news. Practically every two months or so, there's another construction company that goes under due to high costs of building and it's just it's pretty interesting and I mean I was speaking to the CFO of the ABN group recently and he said that the cost of materials has certainly come down over the last 24 months but also the cost of shipping them from somewhere so if they want them from Japan, say, to Perth. The cost of that has also come down over the past 24 months, so it's pretty interesting to see why why these companies are still going under, of course. But for what do you think? Do you think that the state and federal government, or even both, should help in, should step in and help these construction companies, or do they just have to sit back and say, sorry, we can't help? Let me know what you think about that on 944 or 0448 Those are the call or text lines. You can always call in or text in whatever you feel free and able. 
and you know want to do as always but for now here is a bit of Noah Dillon for you and drifting apart here on Boom for your Wednesday morning now just quickly before we head off into the news I just want to talk about the sort of scare that is sort of happening with the inflation rates because uh, there is potential that there might be another interest rate rise in November which will be when they do it it would be on Melbourne Cup Day which is going to be a very fun day for some people but there is some major data that is going to be released over the next three weeks or so that will play a role for the Reserve Bank in determining whether they should raise the interest rate to sort of curb inflation or if they should just leave it where it is for now. Now this meeting that they're going to be having having is going to be on the 7th of November and it's going to be their last interest rate decision for 2023. Now the Australian Bureau of Statistics will be releasing their next round of job stats this Thursday which is followed by September's quarterly CPI figures on October the 25th. So that's next week. I think that's going to be... That's next... Today, next week. So next Wednesday. And this is going to help the Reserve Bank determine whether they should stop the interest rate rise because they've done it... They've stopped it three times now. So it's it's hold steady for about two, three months now. Or whether they should... raise the interest rates once again to try and just stop that curb of inflation that's happening. Now, ahead of that information, three of the big four banks predict that the RBA will keep the official cash rate on hold at 4.10%, with only NAB's economic team forecasting a quarter of a percent hike in interest rates. So, tell me this then. Do you think that inflation is now just uncontrollable do you think it's just a thing we all just have to live with now because it's just gotten so out of hand and just so just weird and just we it's gone past the point of controlling it so do you think that we now just sort of have to live with it or do you think it's something that we're going to be able to control let me know what you think on nine double four three double two three six or zero double four eight seven six nine nine six four it's pretty interesting one really but of course i mean it it's just i mean is it going to be something that you're that you are literally just going to have to live with because i mean you you're gonna need to in the end because if not you you might be stuffed a little bit but i mean who knows but for now here is a bit of learn to fly for you by the foo fighters here on boom for your wednesday morning we're back with more fun right here on boom's big brekkie brought to you by oxford yard that's right it is Boom's Big Breakfast, but instead for your Wednesday morning, it's Boom Talks with me, Max, taking you through until 10am. But coming up this hour, I've got a two-part interview I did with the political editor of the Sunday Times, Joe Spagnolo, where we're going to be talking about the fallout of The Voice in Western Australia and also nationally for Prime Minister Anthony Albanese. And we'll also be talking about Western Australia's gun laws that have been going to be introduced into Parliament soon. And also the share market. It edged a little bit higher 
yesterday after some tech stocks just, you know, went, uh, we'll go up. That's all I'll say. But for now, here is a little bit of Delilah. Pull me out of this Fred again for you here on Boom with Boom Talks. And welcome back to Boom Talks for your Wednesday morning. Now, I have with me one of, I think, the best journalists in WA. And he's a close friend of mine, Joe Spagnolo. Welcome to the show. Flattery will get you everywhere, Max. That's a, a very nice intro. Except, um, you know, you've got to get the spell. You've got to get the pronunciation right of my surname, Spaniolo. You know, but you know, yeah, you know. Apart from that, you did well. I, I didn't mean to do that. I'm so sorry. No, 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 no. That's just very funny. Not to eight out of ten people get my surname wrong. So no. How you? How was that? How have you been? The show's going well? Oh, it's going very well. It's my first show, so it's been good. Now, obviously, you being a journalist, you would have covered The Voice in WA here and its implications. Uh, Why did The Voice fail in WA? And if so, what were some factors that led to it failing? Well, I did did a bit of a ring around on Saturday, you know, in my coverage for the Sunday Times. Mm. Basically, I, I went to various people to get an idea, if you like. Now, uh, the week before the referendum, uh, Tony Abbott had been in Perth, and uh, what he said was that the ill-fated um, Aboriginal Cultural Heritage Act of 2021, which, of course, the Cook government uh, introduced and the regulations came into play on July 1, um, that was an absolute debacle. Mm. And what happened was, um, in fact, it was that bad that the government had to end up ripping it up five or six weeks later and revert back to the old act because, in summary, what the new act did was it didn't just protect, you know, Aboriginal artefacts, you know, from mining, let's say. Because it all um, it all came out of the back of Duke and Gorge, wasn't it, all it of this? It came on the back of that. And the, the, the intent, if you like, the intent of the new act had basically been to, um, you know, to, to put more protections in. But what it did was that it also then actually affected any landowners with, property, with properties over 1,100 square metres, which, which isn't a lot, as in if you go into the hills in Perth, most people have got big properties, right? Mm, so yeah. it meant that basically the new regulations affected farmers, they affected, you know, mums and dads with big properties... So um, Tony Abbott claimed that basically not only had West Australians been put off uh, um, more, you know, uh, the voice because of what happened in WA, but he said that basically he felt that the rest of Australia, when they looked at what happened in WA, uh, many people were put off. But look, when I rang around, the reasons that were put to me, and I went to some fairly eminent people, were the uh, in WA the Cultural Heritage Act, had, had scared people off. Um, there was also claims that, you know, nationally, um, the voice, Albanese and the Yes campaign had not been able to articulate properly what a voice meant and its implications, um, that the campaign had run for too long. And another factor which, in fact, former Premier uh, Colin Barnett mentioned to me, which I reported, was that... Um, when there was claims from people on the Yes campaign that anyone who opposed the voice was racist, yeah. that that just turned people off. Because, of course, as Colin Barnett said, and in fact, 
I also spoke to Alana McKinnon, a former Labor minister. They both said, well, people had legitimate questions. I mean, mm. Colin Barnett and Alana McKinnon both voted yes. But what they said was people had right to ask questions. They had, they had legitimate questions. And that doesn't necessarily mean you're racist. So I think it was a number of factors, Max. Mm. Now... I read your column every Sunday, as I think, as you've told me about, only five people in Perth does read your column. Well, my, 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 my mother reads it, you know, particularly you read it. Mm. Uh, you know, John, my partner, reads it. That's three. And, of course, I read it again over and over again on a Sunday morning. So we're up to about four or five. So we're getting close. Now, you, the title of your column was Liberals Need to Show Their Hand. What does that yeah. mean and how come? Is this going to be... Are we going to start seeing the rise of them again here in WA after The Voice or not? Yeah, no, it's, it's a great question, Max, because what we're seeing uh, already, I mean, hours, if you like, um, mm. after The Voice, is that both political parties and Anthony Albanese and Peter Dutton, who, of course, is a federal Liberal leader, what they're both starting to think about is the obvious question. What political ramifications does The Voice have for the next election? Now, the next election is scheduled for May of 2025, Max. Mm. That's the latest he can go. And also, However, don't we have a state one in March of that year as and well? We have a, and we have a, exactly, and we have a state election in March, because in WA we have fixed terms and a fixed date. So in March of 2025, there will be another election. The difference between federal and state politics is that we have four-year terms in WA and three-year terms federally. So mm. both parties, and it's not just state but federal, are starting to think of the political ramifications. Now, what I did in my column was I basically turned my thoughts to what I knew would happen this week, which is the ramifications of the voice. And in WA, the WA Liberal Party, who you know was decimated at the last election, they've only got two out of 59 seats in the Assembly, they're now starting to recruit. And if I can if I can compare it to the rebuild of a footy side like the Eagles, they're starting to rebuild and they're trying to reach out to all sorts of people to try and get some quality candidates. And what I tried to point out in the column was that um, recruiting, if you like, or pre-selection, candidates will have to start nominating in about December this year. This year. Mm. And by the end of January next year, um, that's when actually the party will start to do pre-selection. So, in other words, anyone who's thinking of running for the WA Liberal Party will have to um, to start seriously thinking about it soon. Does this also apply to the Liberal Party federally or not, do you think? Well, yeah, no, it does. <clears throat> what, hap- what happens is basically the WA Liberal Party um, hierarchy, if you like, and mm. I'm talking people like the... Um, you know, the state president. Um, I'm talking people like the state director, yeah. you know, um, the executive of the Liberal Party, uh, state council. Um, basically, what they do is they go through a process whereby you look at the, um, the pre-selections and you normally do the state election first. Mm. And what they'll, do is, what they'll do is the federal election after that. So in 2024, next year, you'll find that basically it'll be full-on pre-selecting, not just for the state election, but um, federally. Now, federally, we have 15 seats in WA. Yeah. Uh, in, the, in the Assembly, 
of the WA Parliament, we have 59 seats. And then you've got the upper house, of course, as well. Now, what's interesting about the Liberal Party is that um, because it was felt that the last couple of elections, some of the candidates have been pretty ordinary, uh, they've tried to improve their pre-selection um, procedures. Um, and so they're hoping that hopefully they can entice a few, uh, some better candidates. Mm. Now, in one of your articles you wrote on Sunday for the Sunday Times, you said we need to heal and we need to heal as a nation. Why do you think we need to do that? Well, I think I just can't. I've, I've covered, I've been a journalist for 40 years, Max, and specifically in Perth for nearly 20, nearly half of that time in Perth, mm. uh, covering, covering state and federal um, elections. I think from memory... I think I might have covered five federal elections and four state, I think, so far. But I just cannot remember in my time as a political journalist uh, ever having covered such a divisive um, campaign of any sort. I, I just can't remember anything being so so poisonous. You know, I, I think I think what this referendum did is I think it pitted, you know, whites against whites, whites against blacks, blacks against blacks. It seemed to it really did seem to pit um, white and black, um, you know, uh, Australians against each other. And I think, I think my overriding thought when I wrote that column, which is, which was, by the way, on Saturday night, mm. uh, once we knew the results, the first thing that came into my head was that, you know, somehow we, we just need to, um, we just need to heal. You know, we, we need to stop fighting. We need to stop bickering. Now, will that ever happen? I'm not sure. But I, I think we need to, we need a period whereby, you know, we're not every single week seeing this combative type of, um, you know, campaigning that we've seen for over a year now. So I think as a nation, we, we, we just somehow need to find some sort of unity at the moment because it's been very divisive. And obviously it's going to be a long process to get there, but once we get there, we'll be better off for it, well, do you think? Well, well, I think, I mean, issues affecting our Indigenous Australians, you know, issues mm. affecting our Indigenous Australians, and I'm talking about, of course, everyone talks about the gap. Yeah. You know, the gap, the gap between our Indigenous Australians and our, our you know, our, our white Australians, basically. But basically, if you have a look at, you know, rates of imprisonment, uh, health outcomes for Indigenous Australians. They know it. You know, it's a totally different story to you know to the rest of Australia. So, I'm not I'm not suggesting that in three seconds, you know, we can all of a sudden you know be one big happy family and you know uh, the problems facing our Indigenous Australians are solved because they they haven't they haven't no one's been able to solve those problems. Uh, Anthony Albanese was convinced that a voice to Parliament would help address that. Obviously, given the results on Saturday night, uh, the majority of Australians didn't believe that a voice, which was in effect uh, an advisory to Parliament, would would really fix anything. Mm. So I think when I'm, you know, so when I'm talking about healing, I, I suppose I'm talking about attitudes. Um, I'm not suggesting that we're going to find solutions for these problems in three seconds. Mm. Now I'll get back to Albanese because there's some interesting stuff happening there, but just quickly back onto the state. Obviously, we all know the Aboriginal Heritage Act was introduced and then six weeks later it was torn up. Do you think they should have introduced that later 
say maybe even now after the voice or do you think that it wouldn't have been possible for Roger Cook and his government? It was very difficult because the actual legislation was passed late in December 2021. So it would have been difficult to actually, um, you know, put it back, if you like. I mean, as it was, you know, the legislation was passed in 2021 and the actual laws, if you like, or the regulations became, came into effect in July of, uh, of this year, right? Mm. So even though, look, you might argue and say, well, you know, maybe they should have just held back introducing the regulations to after the referendum. And, but at the end of the day, um, you know, I, I just think that in its complete naivety, the WA Labor government just did not think that this act was going to cause the mayhem that it did. I just think that in its complete naivety, they just didn't think so. So, um, look, you know, hindsight's a wonderful thing, but I think if you're going to be pragmatic about it, Max, you know, the legislation went through in December 2021, as it was. Uh, the actual regulations didn't come into effect until, what was it, 12... I think it was, it was, yeah, it was July this year, and it was, I think it was yeah, for six weeks, later. basically. Yeah, yeah, well, it came, they came in on July, and then, you know, um, they had to be ripped up five or six weeks later, but, yeah, look, I'm not sure that would have been possible to, 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 put, to put back the timings anyway. Mm. Now, one of your colleagues at the Sunday Times talked about the sort of blame game that that's now sort of happening for the referendum. Do you think this is the right thing to do to start blaming people or do you think we should just come together and say, work, work out what went well and what didn't work out? Oh, look, I, I think people are sick of That's what I'm saying, Max. I think people are sick of the argument. So, mm. you know, sure. I mean, there's, there's a lot of political point scoring that can be done right now. I mean, the Liberals, uh, you know, can get there and point the finger at, you know, at Albanese and the Federal Labor Government. Um, the, the Federal Labor Government, Albanese is pointing the finger at Dutton, saying, well, you know, the Liberal Party had supported uh, us. Uh, you know, if we'd gone to this referendum as one, um, it wouldn't have been a, a, as big a problem as it was. So, but I think, I think overall, I think Australia is sick of the bickering. So... Yeah. Um, no, I don't think I don't think I don't think that finger pointing is going to is going to you know benefit anyone at the moment, Max. Mm. Well, hope, uh, we're just going to take a quick break here, Joe. Hopefully, you can stick around for a little bit longer. I've just got a couple of more questions, and we'll be right back after this. No, no problems at all. Great. Welcome back. Now I'm still with Joe Spagnolo of the Sunday Times. Hopefully, I pronounced that one right, Joe. Um, Now, just moving on, Anthony Albanese recently came out and said that if the voice was going to fail, that he wasn't, he was going to accept the result and move on. Do you think he is now strategizing his next moves per se or not? I think, I think, I think Albanese has been so burnt through this process that there's no way, there's no way will there be another, another referendum in my belief. Uh, while he's Prime Minister. Mm. And if you have a look at it, you know, Peter Dutton was talking about perhaps another referendum uh, which would, you know, still try to achieve Indigenous recognition in our constitution. I think he's kind of walking away from that as well. I think I think everyone knows and agrees that basically, um, you know, um, I, I don't think the Australian public would want another referendum. 
So at the end of the day, then you kind of get back and you say to yourself, all right, well, if we've, if we've given up on, on constitutional recognition, then, then what's the next step? Mm. And I think the next step is what we talked about earlier, Max, in that there has to be perhaps at a government level, not just federally, but state, um, you know, maybe local government and they go grassroots community. I, I, think, I think we just have to do it better. I think we have to find a much better way of, uh, of being able to improve uh, the lives of our Indigenous population. I mean, you know, you, you know Banksia Hill, you know, has been talked about a lot, and that's a kid's, um, you know, jail, basically, a detention centre. We talk about this Unit 18 at Casuarina. Mm. Um, you know, uh, you, you, you know, you, you have a look at the adult prisons and other prisons. Look at the po- look at the percentage of Aboriginal people in our prisons. You look at basically health outcomes for our Indigenous population. Um, you know, I I think you'll find that the life expectancy of our Indigenous Australians is far less than than than, than others. So you know, there's there's a lot to be done, but I, I think it'll go back to uh, grassroots. Um, you know, local government, state, I don't think you'll find there will not be another referendum, no. Mm. Now, also at the same time of Albanese, our Prime Minister, saying that he won't do anything else but accept the result of the referendum, Roger Cook, our Premier, said that he won't be doing a state's version of the voice to Parliament. Do you think that's the right move by Roger Cook or do you think he should start maybe thinking about it? Well, I suppose if you're Roger Cook, right now, you'd be thinking to yourself, well, the nation has just rejected, and not just rejected a little bit, you know, we're talking above 60% mm. of the on average of the population said no. So if you were Roger Cook right now, you'd be saying to yourself, well, how much of an appetite is there for a WA voice? And more importantly, what would it actually achieve, Max? So, you know, if I was Roger Cook, I probably would be saying the same thing, that um, right now, it's certainly not the right time to be talking about a WA voice. And I know South Australia's gone down that road, but I'm, I'm not sure, you know, I'm not sure what, what, what outcomes that would have. So mm. um, I can understand fully, given the fact of such rejection for a voice at a federal level, I can understand why Roger Cook probably wouldn't want to go down that road. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously, as you said, South Australia has done that, but that's because yeah. they... they wanted to try and see if the system worked, wasn't it? Or, yeah. I mean, who knows? Yeah, well, yeah I'm not too, I'm, look, I'm not too sure of, of, of the principles, if you like, or the reasoning behind the SA. I can, only, I can only tell you that I think our former Premier, Mark McGowan, had spoken of possibly a WA voice, but only uh, if, the re- if the referendum was successful. Which obviously... Yeah, the referendum, hmm. referendum hasn't been successful, so I don't... Again, I, I don't think you can criticise Roger Cook too much at the moment, no. Mm. Now, I started seeing articles just hours after the results of the referendum came out saying that Anthony Albanese should resign as Prime Minister. Do you think that's taking it too far or do you think that he still has to hold on for another 18 months or so before the next election and then he might get well, he, ousted? Yeah. Um. Look, he's been wounded through this process. There's, there is little doubt. Now, Anthony Albanese is saying that he, he, it was his duty, if you like, and he says he still believes it was the right thing to, to bring this before the Australian public and get them to vote on it. Mm. Now, the issue will be that 
um, you know, from here on end, I can tell you that certainly once we get past Christmas and once we begin January 1 of 2024, we're in a pre-election year. So, as I said, Federal Labor, Anthony Albanese, Federal Liberal Party, Peter Dutton, they'll start to read the, the play, if you like. They start getting the, the election playbooks out. Yeah, now, let, let's say let's say from here on in, um, Anthony Albanese's popularity starts to really dip. Let's say the performance of the Australian Labor government uh, is, is something that the Australian public is saying quite clearly is not good enough. Then, of course, you know, everyone wants... No-one wants to be a one-term government. Mm. Uh, I think Anthony Albanese only has a two-seat majority government. So um, there, Would... will be, there will be a lot of soul-searching. There will be a lot of, lot of talking behind the scenes. There will be a lot of strategizing. And yes, Anthony Albanese and Peter Dutton will certainly uh, you know, look back and say, all right, we've got an election in you know, 17 short months, and I'm talking about once you hit January 1 next year. Mm. Um, you know, how are we placed? And... You know, um, dare I say, Labor and the Liberal parties federally uh, have um, have a tradition of dumping their leaders when it looks like they're not going to win elections. Now, I'm not saying that federal Labor will dump Anthony Albanese, but it has happened. It happened to Kevin Rudd. It happened to Julia Gillard. It happened to Malcolm Turnbull. Um, mm. So, yeah, no, interesting times. Yeah, that's for sure. And also, it seems that you know, Albanese has got a lot to contend with, with not only now The Voice, but he also promised in the last election that if he gets re-elected, he will start, he'll do another referendum for Australia becoming a republic. Do you think that's a good idea, seeing what the results off the back of The Voice referendum is, or not? And no, no, Max, I think he's, again, I think he's been so burnt through this process, I can't see. I think... I think Anthony Albanese really, really does need to attack or seriously attack the number one issue in Australia, which is concerning many, many, many families as cost of living mm. and how, you know, whether it's rental properties or whether it's a buying a property. Uh, here in WA, there's hardly any rentals available. Um, and if you're looking to buy a home, uh, especially if you're a young person, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a steep mountain to climb. Not only do you have to come up with a decent deposit, uh, you've got to pay stamp duty, you other, other things. You're competing not just against first home or, one of, or you know, first home buyers, but you're competing against people who are buying investment property. So I, I would think, um, and I know and I know that the Liberal Party has already started saying this, I would think that Albanese will have to address other issues you know, which Australians see as rightly important, like cost of living, um, mm. you know. And, and so I think you might find that there's big concentration on, um, on on those sort of issues next year. And also, just quickly referring to what you said about Anthony Albanese's two-seat majority, that came from Western Australia, didn't it? It did. I mean, at the last election in 2022... Um, some, you know, there, there was a there was a handful of seats that were normally that would normally be liberal seats, and I'm talking about seats like Pierce, Haslark, Swan, and Tagney, and which in fact ended up being Labor seats. Mm. And in fact, in Curtin, uh, Curtin, which was a um, very much a liberal seat, was won by Peel um, candidate. Um, Kay Cheney, mm. so, and that and that was one of the strongest. That was one of the safest seats in the country as well. Well, it, well, it used to be. It used to be a 
margin. They used to be held by Julius Bishop. Um, yeah. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? It was just, um, you know, there was no way in years gone by, whenever you had a federal election, you always put a tick next to curtain if you're a Liberal Party person. But basically, um, no, the only reason Anthony Albanese holds a majority is because he managed to win seats in WA, which were traditionally Liberal. Mm. So... If those seats that I just mentioned, you know, Swan, Haslark, Pierce, Hagney, if they were to go back into Liberal hands, let's say, then he would struggle to form a majority government. He he would probably have to do a, a deal with the Teals and others mm. to form government. So WA becomes vitally important to the next election, vitally important that he hangs on. Mm. And he's going to have to fight hard for it in 2025 if he wants to remain as Prime Minister and in government? Well, been, well I think he's been... He, he's often said that, you know, he, I think he's been to WA 15 times as Prime Minister. Now, a lot of those visits have been very short, you know. Um, some of them, he's been on his way elsewhere overseas, so he's quickly come into WA and, and you know, maybe conducted a, a metre event. But I think you'll find that Albanese will be a major presence here in WA again next year, as will Peter Dutton, as will mm. Peter Dutton. I think from memory, Albanese bought Cabinet to WA twice now. Yeah. WA, Perth. So that's a sign, isn't it? It's mm. a sign, basically, how important. And I think you'll find that Peter Dutton will be a regular visit to WA as well. Uh, just quickly before, I've just got a couple more questions for you. If Do you think that The Voice was always going to fail in WA? Because there was polling at the beginning saying that it was going to be a yes majority across all six states and territories so did you think it was always going to fail or not well i think if you go back to history when you don't have bipartisan um when you when you don't have five sides of parliament uh you know agreeing to a referendum or the intent of a referendum they've always failed Mm. so history will tell you that um it was always going to be tough to win uh, to win this referendum in any state, let alone WA. And, um, you know, WA has got a very, very strong, you know, mining uh, sector, hasn't it? You yeah. Know, if you go back and look at the history of WA, it's, you know, um, you know our, our wealth as a state is so dependent on the mining industry. So at the end of the day, I'm not sure it was ever going to be easy um, to get people to agree to a voice in WA, but I think I think WA just ended up being like every other state, where people just did not either understand or believe that a, a voice um, was going to improve the plight of our Indigenous Australians. Mm. And I mean, I heard that originally Peter Dutton was in all of the meetings for the questioning of the voice, and he didn't have one thing to say that was wrong about it until the question then came out. Do you think that was sort of wrong by him to do that or do you think that he did it decisively and strategically? Yeah, look, I mean, you know, people might say that um, Peggy Duggan's position was a political one. You know, he read the, he read the tea leaves and, and believed that he could be on the right side of public sentiment. But, um, you know, but on the other side of the coin, perhaps he actually legitimately believed that um, the voice wasn't the right way to go, you know. Um, but I'm sure, look, I, he's a politician, Matt. Mm. You know, Anthony Albanese, he's a politician. You know, 
retaining power, winning power, it's always in the in the back of your mind, right? Yeah. And, you know, my experience, and I've covered politics for a long time, federally and state, uh, the acquisition of power, the retention of power, is always, always there with politicians and political parties. So uh, was there... Was there some decisions made based on politics? Yeah, I'm, I'm sure there was. Mm. And just quickly before I let you go, Joe, uh, what can we expect from your column this weekend in the Sunday Times? Or is that still thinking about what you're going to put in there? Max, I'm trying to, uh, because I'm predominantly uh, a weekend writer, in other words, I mainly write for the Sunday Times, or, although... Uh, I, I, I have seen I you in other in, in the other papers as well. No, I was just going to say, because I work for Seven West Media, you will also find my, my articles and columns sometimes in the West Australian and certainly uh, online uh, mm. with the West Australian website. Um, yeah, I normally, Max, I, I normally sit back and, and read the play a little bit. I normally try to write a column that I think basically gives my viewpoint on either a big issue of the week or I think about what's coming up. I don't, very, very rare do I wake up on a Tuesday morning or a Wednesday and, and, and have already decided on a column. I normally, I normally start, I normally kind of, I, I carry a little notepad with me wherever I go. I, I've seen that notepad as well. I carry, I carry a notepad with me and a pen. And when I have an idea, I write it down. Um, I'm one of these, I'm one of these people, Max, who never quite shuts off. Um, so if I've got an idea for a column or a news article, I'll write it down. Um, but no, very rare do I actually, um, you know, come to an idea early on. And as you know, Max, because you're nice enough to read me, um, <laughs> occasionally, occasionally I actually enjoy writing about non-politics. And mm. I've actually found over the years, to my, to, really to my joy, that if I write about something to do with my family or... An issue, an issue that is non-political, but man, I, I mean, every time I write a column about my mother, people tend to enjoy it. So, uh, you know, I'm from a very traditional Italian family, so there's lots of funny things to tell. So, mm. no, I uh, very rarely do I have a, an idea for a column at the beginning of the week. And I, I will be honest with you, I normally do sometimes help you find the ideas for it as well before you start well, Max, writing. Uh, Max, we don't want to give away our secrets, Max. We want to just... <laughs> We don't want to tell the public, you know, who who really is the brains behind my columns, right? So let's just, let's just keep that to ourselves, mate. At least you write them better than I would, Joe. Well, I'm not sure about that, but, you know, words of gold, mate. Words of gold. Well, Joe, thank you so much for joining me. Um, it's been a pleasure talking to you, and I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. No, it's been a pleasure, and thank you very, very much for, uh, for, for having a chat to me. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. That was my interview I did with Joe Spagnolo this week. And quickly, before we head off into the last bit of the show, the last half an hour or even 15 minutes, I've been joined by our very eager newsreader, Talon Elkington. He oh, ca- yeah, you mate. came into the studio while, <laughs> while I was doing the interview. And, you know, you, you said, you know, when am I going to read? The headlines. Yeah. <laughs> you were you were eager, yeah, so I, it was almost eight thirty. So I thought the time was coming, so fast I, approaching. I decided, you know what? When the interview's finished, I'll let you come in and read it's headlines. My time to shine. That's right. What is in the headlines, as always? 
Um, obviously, a huge deadline day in the AFL trade period is on the cards. Apparently, some trades are very close to coming through, so that's one to keep an eye on. So, is that? Do you think it's going to be finalised today? Then, absolutely. I think there will be probably about a dozen at least. A dozen today. Yes. Yeah, some teams are going to start getting very aggressive on the trade front. Does that also include our teams in the West as well? Or? West Coast and Frio. Hmm. Yeah, I'd imagine that's going to be... I think West Coast are probably going to be swarmed with uh, offers for pick one, like we presume they have been since the start of the trade period. Of course, um, the draft pick deadline expands a little bit. However, it's going to be a couple of days off where you cannot trade for picks, but there will be a separate window open where you can trade draft selections right up until November the 10th. So that's just over a week until the draft, obviously, on the 21st of November. Mm. It's expected West Coast is still going to get plenty of offers for pick one, I'd imagine. Because that, that was what they were allowed to get since they finished at the bottom of the ladder, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, they did finish last, so they do have rights to pick one because they've kept their first rounder where you'd presume Harley Reid will be taken, regardless of whatever team, whether West Coast are picking on draft night or not at the first pick, Harley Reid can't imagine a world where he doesn't go pick mm. one. And also, what else is in the headlines? Um, it's, we've also got a, another case of meningococcal reaching Perth, adding to the five that have been confirmed this year. However, the child is in hospital, who and she's uh, recovering and is being treated for this very rare disease. And... For more information about symptoms, the Centre for Disease Control and Prevention has an article online. Okay, so... And we've also got the latest in the Israel-Palestine conflict at the top of the hour. Yep. And obviously, as always, uh, latest on traffic and weather. Of course. Awesome. Thank you very much for that one, Talon. That will be at nine o'clock, so you make sure you stick around for that one. But I will be back in just a little bit to talk about the new gun laws that the that is going to be introduced in the WA Parliament very soon here on Boom. Promise Voyager for you here on Boom Radio. Now, remember, Voyager was our Eurovision entry for this year, and they finished in the top 10, which is incredible. But now I'm here to talk about WA's new gun laws that are being introduced into Parliament. Now, Roger Cook announced that the legislation would make changes to the to it, the current gun laws to make the state safe, the state safer, and it could possibly remove up to thirteen thousand guns from the community. And he also said on Monday that this is the largest overhaul of firearm laws in the state's history. Now, under this new proposed law, primary producers and firearm firearm club members will be. Pr- permitted to license up to 10 firearms, but competitive shooters aspiring to represent WA at a national or international level can apply to the regulator for more. Now, we are one of the first jurisdictions in the nation to limit the number of guns someone can own. So it's going to be quite interesting to see what the reaction to that is. And so basically, if you want to be in a competition, say for Olympics, and you need to practice. You need to apply to the regulator to say, "I need to, I need to be allowed to own more 
guns so I can practice. And then the regulator can accept that. But if you're not in a competition, you're only allowed to own up to 10 guns, which is, I think, fantastic news. But what do you think? Do you think this is the right move by the state government to you know, allow this to happen? And remember, this has taken two years to rewrite these laws. So it's pretty interesting to see what has come out of these this two-year rewrite. Now, let me know what you think on 944-3236 or 0448-769-964. But for now, here is a bit of Chainsmokers and more rat. Wish on an eyelash part two. And right around the corner is news headlines at the top of the hour with Talon Elkington. So you can get the latest on your news here on Boom for your Wednesday morning. We're back with more fun right here on Boom's Big Brekkie. Brought to you by Oxford Yard. That is right. You have got me for this last hour of the show. But I've got some good stuff coming up. We're going to be talking about Donald Trump and what he has pledged to do if he is going to be re-elected as president next year. And it's Halloween very, very soon, just around the corner. And, you know, normally Halloween is associated with pumpkins. But this year, farmers are asking Aussies to do something else for Halloween. And also, students in New South Wales have been invited to join a roundtable about vaping, smoking, and all that other stuff that has become very prominent and prevalent and, you know, just everywhere in schools. So all of that is coming up this hour after a little bit of Eagle Rock by Daddy Cool. That's just around the corner for you here on Boom. Eagle Rock, Daddy Cool for you here on Boom Talks for your Wednesday morning. Now, Donald Trump has announced that if he is re-elected as president next year, he will ban immigrants who support Hamas from coming from the United States. And he said that he would do that to prevent anyone who does not believe in Israel's right to exist if he wins a second term in the White House, as he issued a firm response to the conflict that has erupted in the Middle East. While at the same time of doing that, he also declared that he would send officers to pro-Hamas protesters to arrest and deport immigrants who show support for the Palestinian militant group. So now, I mean, obviously we all know what the conflict is over in the Middle East and the two sides that are raging war against each other. And so, I mean, do you think Donald Trump has now gone too far by doing this? Has he just taken it too far and now, like, someone needs to try and basically, like, control him or something? Because it's becoming very hard to try and control what he says, even though he doesn't like to be controlled. It's just becoming ever more difficult, let's just say. Let me know what you think on 944-3236 or 0448-769-964. Coming up, though, this one's an interesting one. We all know Halloween's coming around on the calendar in less than a week. In two weeks' time, nearly, Tuesday the 31st of October, it is Halloween. Now, many things happen at Halloween. Obviously, there's some competitions, some, you know, 
listening parties for albums. I know there's one for Michael Jackson trying to get Thriller to one billion streams on uh, Spotify and one billion views on YouTube. But something else is about to change for Halloween. And I'll tell you about that in a little bit after Lungs by Stella Donnelly here on Boom Talks for your Wednesday morning. Lungs, Stella Donnelly for you here on Boom Radio for your your Wednesday drive. Oh, what am I doing to myself? (laughs) That it doesn't matter. It is Wednesday morning and the time is 15 minutes past nine. And now Halloween right around the corner. Very, very quick. You know, it. The year has gone by so quickly that we're already at Halloween and straight after that we'll be preparing for Christmas. And so normally at Halloween you associate Halloween with pumpkins. But this year, Aussie farmers want you to associate Halloween with pineapples. That's right, pineapples. And that is because pineapple growers are hoping Australians will make the most of a surplus with the return of the spooky pines this Halloween. Now, it's going to be a weird spin on the jack-o'-lantern. I'm not too sure. what Could you call it maybe the spike-o'-lantern or something? I, I don't know. We'll have to think about that. At which, obviously, as you know, all know, the jack-o'-lantern is where you carve the face into the side of the pumpkin, but now you don't have to carve it into the side of the pineapple. And Red Rich Fruits director Matt Palsy said it's great it's a great opportunity to utilize something that would otherwise be chucked in the bin and he also said pineapples are cheap at the moment so it's fun to get everyone involved so are you prepared tell me this are you prepared to substitute the pumpkin for the pineapple are you ready to switch them around? Instead of using the pumpkins for Halloween, which is very traditional, and I understand that completely, are you ready to just switch it around and just for once, for one year only maybe, might just be this year, are you ready to use the pineapple? Let me know what you think on 944-32236 or on the text line at 0448-769-964. I'm sticking with the pumpkin only because I can't have pineapple at all. That's just me personally, but let me know what you think. I'd love to hear from you about it. But coming up in a little bit, I'll be talking about a round table that happened with students in New South Wales. Very interesting stuff. That's in a little bit here on Boom Talks. Love the way you lie, Rihanna featuring Eminem for you here on Boom Talks. Now, students in New South Wales have been invited to join a roundtable to talk about ways that they can reduce vaping in New South Wales schools. Now, the roundtable is said to occur on November the 16th with a number of principals, health experts and other stakeholders, including New South Wales Chief Health Officer Kerry Chant, Cancer Council, New South Wales Tobacco Control Unit, Alexia Brooks, and University of Sydney School of Public Health Associate Professor Becky Freeman. Now, the panel will also include representatives from the New South Wales Department of Education, New South Wales Department, New South Wales Teachers Federation, New South Wales PNC Federation, and the New South Wales Advocate for Children and Young People. All will be included on this roundtable to talk ways about discussing how we they can reduce vaping in schools because it's become so such a problem especially here in Perth as well and 
recently there was a Netflix documentary that came out that talked about vaping. And obviously the documentary was so insightful but also so shocking at the same time that people have now stopped vaping altogether. So obviously something worked there when it came out and maybe hopefully we can try and, you know, see if we can replicate it again, but especially for school children. Now, let me know what you think about all of this at 944-322-36 or 0448-769-964. Seems pretty interesting that you can try and stop smoking, stop vaping or smoking or whatever through just one documentary. I mean, seems realistic to me, but I'm not too sure. But right now is Trying Not to Try by Wolf and the New World Disorder for you here on Boom Talks for your Wednesday morning. For the best way to catch comps, check out the latest news and see more of your favourite boomers, head to our socials. At Boom Radio, we're constantly posting amazing content on Facebook. Instagram, X, formerly known as Twitter, and TikTok. To stay in the loop with all things Boom, chuck us a follow at Boom Radio AU on all platforms. I'll come around, sprinter for you here on Boom Talks for your Wednesday morning. Now, as we all know, Vladimir Putin has been under some speculation recently that he is unwell and has been suffering some serious health issues over the past year. And now, according to his inner circle, they... It's believed that they have chosen a successor for Putin. Now, obviously, apparently he is suffering from cancer and Parkinson's disease. Uh, And even one report claims that one of Putin's doctors believes death is only a matter of time now. But according to General SVR, the medic said that Putin's demise was imminent and amid a sharp deterioration of in his health. Now, Putin's Kremlin allies are said to have attempted to reach an agreement on the continuation of the Putin regime after Putin, with General SVR claiming that the Secretary of the Security Council, Nikolai Patrushev, was being lined up to take over. Now, what do you think? Do you think that this is going to happen or not? I'm never too sure with Russia about anything, so I'd take this with a pinch of salt. But let me know what you think at nine double four three double two three six or zero double four eight seven six nine nine six four. Seems pretty interesting that this is happening. But right now, here is a bit of Gurupal with "Let Me Go" for you here on Wednesday morning for Boom Talks. Loco by Chatters for you here on Booms talks now this is the end of the show of course i've enjoyed this first show hopefully you had and you know we talked about so many things i did my interview with joe spagnolo the political editor for the sunday times we talked about vladimir putin and his possible successor we also talked about the round table that's happening in november to help reduce vaping in new south wales in schools pineapples are they going to be the new thing for halloween Donald Trump and his pledge to ban Hamas supporters from the US. So it's been an interesting show. Hopefully you've enjoyed it. And always remember this, that you can always call or text in and, you know, just have your say about these issues because I'd love to hear from you. And that is the most, I think, I think it's the most important thing 
of all that we hear from you, the listeners, to be able to know and understand what's happening around you in the world. But right now, taking you through your work day is Bryzer, and then after that is Odin, and then right after that, for the drive home, you've got Jev and Taylor. So make sure you stick around for that one. But from me, it's bye. That's the end of Boom's Big Brekkie. Stick around for the work day.